Knowing Jesus is the best gift that any person can receive. That we've encountered him is the best thing that's happened in our lives. And making him known by our word and deeds is our greatest joy. Then join me and dig into the scriptures and the teachings of the church so that we can find the life that Jesus has made us for. Ave Maria Radio presents Christ is the Answer with Father John Ricardo. He's a priest of the Archdiocese of Detroit and is currently the executive director of a nonprofit organization called Acts 29, which exists to work with pastors and their teams to transform their parish culture and reclaim the church's missionary identity. He was ordained in 1996. It's inspiring to see as many guys here as there are. I hope you're as inspired to look around the room and to see a couple hundred men who've shown up on a Saturday morning when it's cold, when many of us could be doing other things, not only to get together, but to get together in a particular way to talk about prayer. My hope would be that as many of us who make the effort to come out and listen to a talk on prayer or reflection on prayer would make the effort to actually pray. (laughs) So, John, thanks be to God for uh, your efforts to make this a, a better habit now and to get into the habit of praying for an hour a day, but... We all struggle with lots of different things. Hopefully um, we will resolve, especially in this time of New Year's resolutions and whatnot, to let that be a habit which we really allow to get ingrained into our lives. So since it is a talk on prayer, it would be uh, only fitting for us to begin in prayer again. So let's ask the Lord to come and be with us and bless us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, you sent your Son into the world so as to make known to us beyond all shadows and all doubts, who you are, to rescue us from the power of death and sin, and to call us to friendship. Father, your Son gathered around him men who were in his company, men whom he formed, men with whom he delighted to be, hard as that is for us to believe. It's equally hard to believe that you and your Son and the Spirit enjoy our company and invite us to friendship. Father, pour out your Spirit upon us. Help us to hear again this morning an invitation from you to each one of us by name, to be friends of the King, to be companions of the Lord, to accompany the God who made the universe and who's inviting us to friendship and calling us to go forth into the world in which we live to tell others about you. Father, give us strength in the midst of our weakness. Help us to continue to grow in grace and in faith. And all these things we ask through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I want to uh, share a couple of things that came to mind which I think fit in with what we're talking about. I can't ever remember being as drained as I am right now, quite frankly. I uh, just came back from vacation, so I should be really rested, but I'm not. Not simply because you come back to thousands of emails. Any of you who are on my email list who sent me something while I was gone just got something last night saying, sorry, I'm overwhelmed, I can't answer you, I'll get to you when I can't. But I came back not only to uh, lots of emails, but we had a, um, I'm sure many of you saw the tragedy that happened on uh, New Year's Eve, the family that was involved in the car accident. They were coming from Redford, driving to Parkville, Maryland. They were down on the interstate I-280 in Ohio, husband, wife, and uh, five children in the car got struck by a drunk driver going the wrong way. He was driving an F-350. You don't win against an F-350. Wife died, four children died. We did a memorial service for them yesterday. And uh, I'm 12 years ordained. I've done, I don't know how many hundreds of funerals. And I can't ever remember being just kind of numb as I am right now. He had five kind of two-by-three enlargements of photographs of his wife and children, one of which was uh, one of his children was uh, eight weeks old. And there's a picture of his wife and the newborn. It's probably right after she was born. And they're just lying in the hospital bed and they're kind of leaning next to each other and she's just kissing the infant. It's an incredibly moving picture just to see regardless. And then you hear the story and everything just kind of comes out. So we had that yesterday morning and uh, I just continue to feel the effects, but it factors into what we're talking about in prayer because I know in my own life, I have nothing to give them. Father and I could share this easily. You know, I mean, the experience of going to someone who's dying at a hospital bed or who's grieving the loss of loved one on our own, we have nothing to give. Nothing. And if I didn't pray, pushing aside the, the need to pray for myself, but if I didn't pray, I wouldn't have anything to share. I wouldn't have any words to offer because I have to hear what it is that the Lord wants to say. 
it just reminds me over and over again of how absolutely foundational for my life prayer is. I think I have the gift of faith, which I don't mean to sound as a boast because it's really a, an indictment for all the times that I haven't lived as I should live. But I, I know from a very early age in my life that I've just known God. He's always been very real to me. And I've always loved to pray. I've loved lots of things. I'm somewhat normal. I mean, I do lots of different things with my life. But, but God has clearly been in the center of my life. And that was really, I think, in large part, the witness of my dad who just helped me understand that that's what a real man does. A real man prays. So I knew that that was a, a normal thing for guys to do. But at some point in my life, and at a very early age, I, I just know that God made himself known to me and was calling me to friendship. So prayer for me, we talk about lots of different kinds of prayer, and we'll get into some of that maybe. John was sharing about whether it's intercessory prayer or kind of like guidance, like what, do I, what should I do now? Should I turn left? Should I turn right? <laughs> Where's the hole? Prayer for me has always just been, I just love to talk to God. And I don't know why quite frankly. I've just enjoyed his company. And I was thinking of a passage as I was listening to him share Jesus in, uh, in John's gospel when he's visited by um, a father of a son who's very sick, which would be easy for some of us perhaps to relate to. It's a bizarre passage, but it's going to tie into what I'm going to share. It says, He came again to Cana in Galilee, this is John chapter 4, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum there was an official whose son was ill. And when he heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went and begged him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So picture this. You're a father. You've got a son who's sick. You hear this guy's in town who's done some amazing things. You know, he's, he changed 180 gallons of water into wine, which made a pretty lasting impression for some people. <laughs> so he's done some things which has created some excitement. He hears he's in town. He runs to him. He says, hey, my son is sick. And this is Jesus' response. Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Kind of an odd response. And the man looks at him and says, Sir, come down before my child dies. And Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. The man goes home and his, his son's healed. I was living in Washington, D.C. at the time, and I remember reading that passage. I was in the chapel at the uh, Basilica of the Immaculate Conception. And uh, I'm reading the passage, and I thought, Okay, Lord, I need a little help with this. You are an all-loving God. I know that. You're good. You're kind. You're rich in compassion. You're merciful. I don't get your response. Son's sick. He comes to you. He says, can you help me out? And your response is, unless you ever see signs, you will never believe. So what am I not getting? And at least what I heard from the Lord at the time was, and the image that continues to stick with me, if this man didn't have a need, he never would have come. And so I'm afraid it is for many of us with the Lord in prayer. If we didn't have a need, if we didn't have a crisis, if there wasn't something we were asking help for, we might never have turned to him. And as I pray and continue to reflect on this particular passage, and this has been a theme with me for a a series of months now, there's a sadness in God. God is offering to you and to me himself, his friendship. And we all too often only turn to him asking for help. So just like you were saying again, John, you know, of, of a father whose kids only come and ask him for favors or for, for assistance and never really take advantage of the fact that the Father wants to share himself with us provokes a sadness in God. So hopefully today we can resolve to understand that we don't simply want to come to the Lord because we are in need, although Jesus certainly tells us to ask, to seek, and to knock, so we want to be unafraid to do that. But there is a deeper part to prayer, and that's what I want to kind of focus on. I gave, a, a, I think, a four-part series on prayer at St. Anastasia, which is on our website at uh, Our Lady of Good Counsel. I say that just because we've got, you know, 35, 40 minutes. I don't want to talk about a lot of things that I have talked about in the past. If you're interested, it seems to have been a, a series which bore a lot of fruit for lots of folks, working through lots of different things, you know, how to pray with Scripture, why does God say no, places to pray, all the different details that we might have, what do you do when you pray, components of prayer, and We can get into some of that perhaps in some discussion, but I don't really want to focus on that. But I would encourage you to check out the website. I've been praying about today and asking the Lord to help me hear what it is that he wants to share. And I think what I really want to focus on is the goal of prayer or the object of prayer. It's a word that I felt like the Lord said to me when I was praying about this was he challenged me just to say, when you come here to pray, to be with me, do you have an end in mind? Do you have a purpose for being here? Is there some object 
that you hope to achieve. So I, I want to kind of dive into that at the end, but I want to make a couple basic observations, mindful of the fact that we're in a variety of different places in our lives with the Lord, and hopefully these will give us a groundwork. The uh, bishops of the United States came out with an adult catechism, uh, which just was published uh, about a year and a half ago. It's called the U.S. Catholic Catechism for Adults. It has a great section on prayer, and it reminds us that there are three things which are essential for prayer. Time, attention, and effort. And I want to just lay out a couple of things on each of those. First, it requires time. Perhaps many of us are in the midst of New Year's resolutions right now, whether we're uh, trying to make an effort to lose some weight or to work out or to watch less TV or to pray every day for Rich Rodriguez and Michigan football team or whatever it might be. (laughs) Whatever we make as resolutions, resolutions take times. And and resolutions are attempts to get into new habits. And new habits are tough because it seems like we so easily kind of fall back into old habits, which we're frustrated with, we want to get out of. So new habits require a lot of effort for us. It can be hard to break. The point for us about prayer is that we need to get into the habit, even if we're not there yet, of making it a priority to pray. You cannot possibly be a Christian and not pray. It's impossible. Because to be a Christian is not to be a member of a church where you're on the books. To be a Christian means to be a man or a woman who's in a relationship with God. So if I'm not praying, then I'm not in a relationship. And I think for some of us, Maybe today is just like a jolt, hopefully, from the Lord, just challenging us to say, do not deceive yourselves. If you're not talking to me regularly, you are not my disciple. And I don't mean that to sound harsh. I mean that to sound very true and realistic. God is inviting us to a relationship. We can no more have a friendship with anybody else who we never spend time with than we can with God. And there are people in our lives who we, you know, we touch every once in a while or we talk to every once in a while. You send off a two-word response in an email, you know, a 30-second phone call. And those are acquaintances that we have. But those aren't friends. Not if that's the whole makeup of the relationship. That's not a friendship. That wouldn't work in a marriage. It doesn't work in a friendship with a brother. It certainly doesn't work in a relationship with God. So for those of us who are here today who are And obviously we're here because we want to follow the Lord in some way. Hopefully today is an an incentive for us to go, I have to get off the fence and stop deceiving myself to think that things are good with me with God if I'm not regularly, every day, making it a priority to pray. Not squeezing it in, not fitting it in when I can, not going to bed going, well, I know the Lord understands, I'll start it tomorrow. Start today to pray. Father uh, Jeremy Driscoll, who's a tremendous uh, Catholic priest who I was blessed to study under in Rome, who's written a, what I think is the best book that there is on the Mass called What Happens at Mass. If you're like me, when I was uh, even in the seminary, you know, months away from getting ordained and I'm sitting in Mass every day, and this is a problem, I'm not really looking forward to saying Mass, and I'm going to do this for the rest of my life, okay? <laughs> so... I'm looking forward to preaching, looking forward to hearing confessions, looking forward to lots of things. I'm not looking forward to saying Mass, and I'm sitting in the chapel praying, going, okay, Lord, I need some help, because I know something amazing is happening up there, but I don't really understand what's happening, so can you give me a clue? He brought me Father Jeremy Driscoll, who was really helpful. So this book is kind of a condensed version of what it was that he taught us in a class, which was great. But he makes a great line at one point in one of his books that says, it is impossible to love the Lord without adoring him. It is impossible to love the Lord without adoring him. The the gist of it, again, is an opportunity or a challenge for us to be awoken from a deception that thinks we can love him without adoring him. In other words, if we're not men who pray, who make it a priority each day to spend time both talking to and listening to him, then we're not his disciples. The disciples are defined, according to the Gospel of Mark, as those who are with Jesus. Jesus makes an effort and goes to the trouble of calling to himself these twelve who are with him in a unique way. They listen to him, they accompany him, they engage with him. That is the distinctive dimension of their relationship with the Lord. The Lord's inviting us to the same thing that he invited them to. 
They're not distant observers of God. They are friends of God. And Jesus is trying to challenge you and me to no longer be distant observers of him, but to be his friends. At least for me, it's just kind of beyond belief that God would enjoy my company. I mean, what in the world would he possibly get out of spending some time with me? But he loves my company, and he loves your company. He who needs nothing, who fashioned everything that is, loves our company. That's what Christmas tells us so profoundly. God loves to dwell with men. Pleased with man is man to dwell. That's what we sing in the Christmas song. He loves to dwell with us. God doesn't just like put up with us. It's not like the father says to the son, okay, you know what, they're in trouble. Get down there, help them out a little bit, and then come back. He loves to dwell with us. So much so that he's inviting us, not only to this relationship now, but he wants to share everything that he has with us in heaven. I've personally found it not merely important, but in fact necessary. It's as necessary to me as air to begin my day, or if I don't begin the day, to do it very shortly after I begin my day by praying and especially to spend an hour. Thanks be to God, it's one habit that I've got that's good, which I've been able to maintain. I've got lots of bad ones, but that's a good one. I've made a holy hour every morning for I I can't remember how long now. And I got the idea from Fulton Sheen, who many of us uh, remember or were inspired by. He was uh, an incredible inspiration on me when I was in the seminary and uh, first found some of his tapes and started to listen to him. I remember very clearly listening to one of his talks and some priests came up to him at one point and they said, how is it that when you preach, so many people listen to you and when we preach, they don't? And his answer was, I'll tell you why. It's because I spend an hour every morning in front of the Blessed Sacrament and you don't. And I thought, oh, <laughs> all right. <laughs> that sounds a little pompous maybe at one time, you know, but is that really a gesture or a, an expression of humility? He knows. He knows he has nothing to give. He knows that what he's got to give is the Lord speaking through him. And so he just made it a point. Some of the stories of what he would do to pray in front of the Blessed Sacrament are pretty amazing. I mean, I remember him traveling one time and he couldn't get into a church. He got locked out. So he just spent an hour leaning up against the wall where he figured that the tabernacle was, figuring this is as close as I can get. Because he would always make it a point to pray his holy hour in front of the Eucharist. But he writes, uh, this is a great insight, I think, from this man. He says, I have found that it takes time to catch fire in prayer. Another author says that something doesn't become heated by a quick contact with fire. It takes time. So it takes time to catch fire in prayer. This has been, Sheen says, one of the advantages of the holy hour. Sitting before the presence of the Lord is like a body exposing itself to the sun to absorb its rays. In these moments, one does not so much pour out written prayers, but listening takes place. So the holy hour became a teacher for me, he says. Although before we love anyone, we must have knowledge of that person. Nevertheless, after we know, it is love that intensifies knowledge. You know, again, just because I keep pounding this point every time we get together, I know at the men's conference, this year I'm going to ask guys to pray for six hours a day probably. (laughs) We have got to be men who are committed to daily prolonged periods of time. It's the only way you and I can learn how to be human. Because to be human means to be in a relationship with God. The only way I can be in a relationship with God is to spend time with Him. I've got to do that. I don't know how I could possibly live my day without it. I had two encounters with people shortly before Christmas, with people who had no faith, and they were just totally jarring to me. One of them was in my own family. It was so disturbing And my life makes no sense apart from God. I mean, it makes no sense. And to remove him from my life, Father Steve Burr, who's with me over at uh, Our Lady Good Council, we were talking a little bit about this the other day. I don't know what I would live for. I don't know that I would live because I can't get enough pleasure. So I think if I didn't have something like the Lord, I'd just end my life because I can't imagine anything meaningful to live for. So I want to challenge us again and again and again to be guys who just... Spend time wasting it with God. It's not a waste of time. It's wasting time with God. Jesus tells us, you know, on a couple of occasions in the Gospels, to seek first the kingdom. Then everything else will be added unto you. That's the first word that I just want to drive home. Resolve today to seek first the kingdom. That means to make it the priority of your day to pray. Other things we know we got to do. i got to work. i got to do all the other things. If you work out, you work out. 
things fit in and other things are there, but make it a point to seek first the kingdom. Give God the first fruits of your day. That's why I think it's so important to pray in the, in the morning. We all get up early. Most of us get up very early. Most days I'm up at 5 or 5.15. And I'm up at that time so that I can pray an hour before everything else begins. Do it. I don't think it works for most men to pray at night. We're drained. Then you, you fall back into the habit of you lying in bed going, Oh, Lord, I'm really sorry I didn't get any time to talk to you today. I know you understand. You're a merciful God. I'll talk to you tomorrow. <laughs> and then you do that for months. And then you begin to deceive yourself thinking that you're living the life of discipleship. So I know it. I know it from my own life. A dramatic change happens to us. And a dramatic change would happen in our culture. Can you imagine if every one of us here prayed an hour a morning? Can you imagine what our families would look like? How our work would go? How our interactions, how the struggles that we have in our lives, you know, the things that we wrestle with in our wills that we're trying to, to improve on. Can you imagine what a difference it would make if men really prayed? It's one of the attractions of Islam, quite frankly, to many guys. Islam is a committed, forceful, firm religion. Men flock to it because it appears strong. It's not all the time, but it appears so strong Because guys in the middle of the day just stop, turn, and face Mecca. And they don't care what you think. Can you imagine the witness that we would have if people knew that we prayed? You know, in the middle of the lunchroom at Chrysler or at Ford or GM or Delphi, you, you know, we made the effort to do that. What an impact it would make in people? That they would see our faith? I make it a point to pray publicly. Not so that people will see me, but so that people will see me. People need to know I pray. Otherwise, what good would I be? I'm not a social worker. I'm a priest. If I don't have a relationship with God, why would you possibly come ask me anything? I don't have anything to tell you, but he does. So for us, we should make, you know, we got to be careful. Jesus tells us, you know, when you pray to your heavenly father, go into your room and lock the door. That doesn't mean don't pray in public. It means be careful how you pray. Don't pray so that people will be impressed. But don't be afraid or ashamed to pray. And the difference that we would make in the culture in which we live, which has so few examples of what a real man is, if we prayed, would be amazing. So let's give him the first fruits. Second thing, in addition to time, prayer takes attentiveness. And this is, for me, the most challenging part, especially as a Catholic, and especially as someone who prays every day for as long as I do. It's almost ironic. You think about it, prayer was richer when I didn't pray all the time. But now that I pray with the amount of time that I pray, and I'm as familiar with the scriptures as I am, and especially as familiar as I am with the Mass, it is really easy to just let the words come out of my mouth and have my mind be somewhere entirely different. One of the constant challenges of a ritualized faith like we have as Catholics, for those of us who are Catholic who are here, is that we have to be careful not to let the rituals become empty. There's nothing wrong with rituals. We can't live life without being ritualistic. That's what we do. But we have to always make sure that it's fresh, that it's alive, that our heart's involved in it. And as Catholics, that's really hard. Because you walk into Mass in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, the Lord be with you. And also with you. Lord have mercy. Christ have mercy. Lord have mercy. Glory to God in the highest. And peace. I mean, it just flows. We know everything, you know? I'm convinced that the commandment, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, is broken more often than anywhere else in church. Because the commandment doesn't mean to use Jesus' name when you hit your thumb with a hammer. I mean, that's, that's somewhere involved in that. But that's not the gist of the commandment. The commandment means to use God's name in an empty fashion. And that happens for many people when they come to church. Whether you're going to Mass or you're going to a Protestant service. The words just flow out. But it's empty. Or it can be empty. We've got to be careful not to let that happen. I know it's an enormous danger for me. Jesus, uh, in Pope Benedict's phenomenal book, Jesus of Nazareth, which if you're looking for great reading in 2008, pick it up. You don't have to have a doctorate in theology. This man is so in touch with where people are. And he writes from his heart. He's challenging at times, but he's often writing from his heart. At one point he says, We are all familiar with the danger of reciting habitual formulas while our mind is somewhere else entirely. We are at our most attentive when we're driven by inmost need to ask God for something or are prompted by a joyful heart to thank him for good things that have happened to us. Most importantly, though, our relationship to God should not be confined to such momentary situations, but should be present as the bedrock of our soul. In order for this to happen, 
This relationship has to be constantly revived and the affairs of our everyday lives have to be constantly related back to it. Like I know people, when they go to pray, they feel like they sit down and they get frustrated because they get distracted about the things that are going on in their life. And they think somehow that's not supposed to be a part of my prayer. Well, pray about it. That's exactly what's supposed to be a part of your prayer. It's not like we're supposed to be sitting there praying some formulas and then somehow feeling inappropriate that what's going on in my life is supposed to be something that I bring to God. That's what you bring to God. I bring this family that we're trying to care for yesterday. You know, Father Mike, who's up there right now, bearing the young guy who got hit by a train. You know, he's bringing that to prayer. It's not like, okay, we'll talk about that later. No, that's what you bring to prayer. I got a hardship going on in my marriage right now. I got a difficulty with an addiction I'm trying to beat. That's what you bring to prayer. So don't feel awkward or, or somehow inappropriate that those things are creeping in. Let that be part of it. Let that be part of your discussion with the Lord. As regards attentiveness, the way the Lord's been kind of working on me with this is there's a huge difference between saying prayers and praying. It's really easy to say prayers. It's a lot more difficult to pray. Saying prayers is having a conversation with your wife when you get the remote in your hand and you're watching a game. Praying is, will you turn off the TV so we can talk? That's the difference. I have to be attentive. And I know in my own life, on a number of occasions, because this this is so habitual for me at this point, that this is the area where God's just kind of putting his finger on a nerve and on a couple of occasions, he said to me something as blunt as, are you really here because you want to be here? Or are you here to try to appease me somehow by thinking that your hour with me is really pleasing? Which was not a real encouraging thing to hear. Because sometimes I know I'm there to appease him, quite frankly. But God doesn't want me to be there to appease him. As if, okay, I've done this part, now the anvil won't fall on me today. <laughs> God wants me to be there because I love to be there. Even though I may not get anything out of it, prayer is not rich for me. At all. It was a time in my life when God was very present, when I heard him all the time. But I rarely hear God right now. There's probably lots of reasons for that, but one of them, I presume, is God just purifying me, saying, I just really want to know, are you here because you know you need to be here and should be here out of love, or are you here because you get a great feeling out of it, or you get something out of it? Do you come simply because of obedience and love, or do you try to use me? And lots of us quit praying when we no longer get great feelings or it's not intense. But that's when prayer has the opportunity to become richest, I think, or most meaningful. Lastly, on these things, prayer takes effort, the Catechism says. Those of us who are familiar with the Jesuits and the Society of Jesus founded by St. Ignatius, you know, it's worth remembering that it's not for nothing that St. Ignatius calls this 30-day period where the retreatant goes away and spends some six to eight hours every day in prayer meditating upon the life of Christ in Scripture, the spiritual exercises. Prayer is work. That can't be stressed enough. Every bit as much as going to the gym every day is work. Prayer is work. In fact, I was thinking of St. Paul's uh, letter to the Philippians in chapter 3 where he uses over and over again in the span of a very short number of verses words like strive or press on or strain or take hold of. This is not an easy life as a Christian. So we've got to do something. It's going to require a great amount of effort for us to get involved in it. Those are the foundational remarks. I want to just share something brief with you and then we'll get into some discussion about what it is I feel like the Lord has really put on my heart. There's two things here. What is prayer really all about? Again, in Jesus of Nazareth, Pope Benedict uh, addresses this really beautifully and very succinctly, I think. It says, The Lord reminds us that fathers do not give their children stones when they ask for bread. He then goes on to say, If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? That's in Matthew's account of that passage. Luke specifies what the good gifts that the Father gives are. He says, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This means, the Pope says, that the gift of God is God himself. The good things that he gives are himself. This reveals in a surprising way what prayer is really all about. It's not about this or that. It's about God's desire to offer us the gift of himself the one thing truly necessary. 
the object of prayer, huh? The, what prayer is really all about is not simply pouring forth our petitions or our needs. As important as it is to do that, Jesus tells us to do that, so we want to make sure that we do it. What prayer is really all about is becoming friends with God. That's what prayer is about. Friendship changes life like nothing else. The mystics used to call friendship the eighth sacrament, which is one of my favorite descriptions. Because it's a visible sign of an invisible reality. You know, a friend is someone who visibly makes known to you who God is. It's what marriage is supposed to be. Unfortunately, it's not oftentimes, but it's what it's supposed to be. God's inviting us to friendship and to know somebody who knows you, who's, who cares about you as you really are, not who you appear to be, but as you really are, is life-changing. Well, imagine what that's like when the one who knows you is the one who made everything, the one who's inviting you to friendship, who cares about you, who loves you, who enjoys your company, is the creator of everything that is. That's what leads to the second point. And this is, I think, the main thing I want to stress. Something should be happening to you and me if we're praying. And I know in my own life that I don't find that it is in anywhere near to the degree that it should be. As a result of our communion and our friendship with the Lord, and as a result of receiving the gift of himself, we should look more like him. And I at least am painfully aware of how many places in my life I don't. The result of prayer, the goal of prayer, the object of prayer is to receive the gift of God himself. The fruit of that is that I become transformed. The goal of life is to grow in conformity to Jesus. Jesus is the only real man who ever walked the earth. It's only to the degree that you and I look like him that we are real men. He's the only one who can teach me about manhood. And as I spend time with him every day... If I am attentive, this is why it's so important for me to be attentive, then I should be growing in conformity to him. The ancient Romans, the Pope talks about in one of his books, has a great description of friendship. Friendship for the Romans was to have the same desires and the same dislikes. Is that true of you and me with God? That we have the same desires and the same dislikes. The buzzword right now in in the election is change. We're not quite sure what the change is for, but change is the buzzword, huh? Well, change is the buzzword for prayer, too. I'm supposed to be changing. It's not just supposed to be me stepping into, you know, a chapel or my basement or a room or someplace where I go to spend some time with the Lord in prayer. It's supposed to be about me walking in, encountering God, and walking out being a different man. Every day, just like you said earlier, I mean, to be sure, the old man is still very much alive in us. But every day he's supposed to be dying a little bit more. And Christ is supposed to be ever more living in me and taking over my life and taking over my desires and my likes and my dislikes. And I think maybe especially for us is to make sure that our likes and our desires are mercy. The Pope again in Jesus of Nazareth talks about how Jesus reveals on the cross, this is a provocative statement, that the essence of the fatherhood of God is mercy. The essence of God is mercy. I so often am looking for vengeance, you know? Or the guy who's driving 42 on North Territorials, I'm going out to church and the speed limit's 50 and I'm trying to figure out why you're going 42 and I've got to get to church. I mean, it's amazing how quickly something can set me off. I am not in conformity with the Lord in everything. I think especially as men, you know, this mistaken idea that a real man is the guy who, you know, when he has the opportunity to get even with the villain, just squashes him. The real man wins the villain. That's what the real man does. So as we pray about and desire to grow in conformity to the Lord, hopefully the place that that most manifests itself is that we are rich in mercy ourselves. Wouldn't it be great if you and I died and the Lord said, you know what, you were just way too kind. (laughs) You know, you were way too generous with doling out forgiveness. Because the measure with which I measure out to you is the measure he says he's going to use to measure out to me, which is a little disturbing because I'm pulling out the centimeter measuring every once in a while and I should be pulling out the yardstick for folks. So as we seek to grow in conformity to the Lord, and one of the things maybe to focus on right now in our prayer as we begin this new year, is just, Lord, make my heart like yours. Make it to be a heart which sees others with your eyes. I've been praying for years now that God would give me a pastor's heart. I mean, a really, truly pastor's heart. And he's done lots of things to change parts of me. But there is so much work still to do in me, and I know that. 
well, especially for those of you who are fathers, that is a great prayer to be making right now. Lord, teach me to have a shepherd's heart for my children, for my wife. I know Paco spoke about that last month in protecting our wives and our children. Give me a shepherd's heart. Help me to see every situation with your eyes. That's the conformity that should be happening when we pray. You know, Fulton Sheen's image again was that as we sit in the sun outside when it's warm and our skin changes colors, even though we may not be aware of it, so the result of sitting in the presence of the real sun, the eternal son of God, should be changing our hearts and our wills and our minds and the way we think and what we want. So as we go in to pray every day, let's go into it with that kind of a focus. Lord, I'm, you know, people are going to the tanning booth right now because they're sick of the way their skin looks in the middle of January and then we've got months before the sun comes out and it's warm. Well, people do that because they're concerned about their external appearance. Have that same kind of mindset to go into prayer. It's kind of like walking into a radiation booth. Lord, I'm asking you to do something dramatic here that the effect of your rays, the rays of grace on my life would be that I walk out of here and people see something different in the way I talk, in the way I love, in the way I forgive, in the fact that I've got time for people. Let there be this dramatic transformation and conforming of my life to yours. So I thought I'd maybe just throw out a couple questions that we could use for reflection. There's three, and you can take these however you want, but the first is, what can I do to help me to be more accountable to praying every day? You know, I know guys who call other people to make sure they get to the gym. I know guys who call other people when they're struggling with sexual addictions. I know guys who call other people or have other people call them to check in and say, did you diet this week? Whatever it might be. I know guys who make the effort to say to somebody, you know what, I want you to call me every week and ask me how this is going. Maybe some of us need to do that for prayer. That's one of the great gifts of these small men's fellowships that, you know, we'll talk about. You know, in in a small men's fellowship, guys are holding each other accountable going, did you pray? What do you mean you didn't pray? Why not? And we need that. We need, I mean, you know, as much as it's a pain in the neck, we need that. We need somebody to push us. That's why people have personal trainers, because some people know they would never go to the gym and work out. I got a buddy of mine who talks about people who go to the gym, they walk in, they pick up a cup of coffee and walk over to the treadmill and grab the towel off of it and walk over, they see the paper, sit down, read the paper a little bit, and go over to the, to the leg weights, you know, maybe do a couple of reps, sit down, grab the towel again, go to the sun and go, man, that was a hell of a workout. <laughs> I mean, you didn't do anything, you know? He got to the gym, but he didn't do anything. He needed a trainer, someone who was going to say, would you, you know, actually begin to sweat? Some of us need a personal trainer for prayer. Even though we know God wants us to pray, even though we know we should pray, prayer is not easy, and oftentimes we need somebody to spur us into the habit. So what can I do to help me be more accountable to praying every day? Second thing, we may not be able to talk about this as openly at the table, depending upon who we're with, but do I approach coming before God as an act of appeasement or out of desire, and why? And then lastly, what is the state of my friendship with the Lord? There's a frightening passage, you know, in the Gospels to me where Jesus says, at that day, at the end of time, people will come to him and say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not work many miracles? And he will say to you, depart from me, I never knew you. Because I I speak in the Lord's name all the time, and many of us do. That's why we're here. But do we know him? Does he know us? So what's the state of my friendship with him? What likes do I have that he doesn't? What desires does he have that I don't? And these, again, are things that we may or may not feel as comfortable with sharing at a table, depending upon who we're with, but which I think would be very helpful for us just to go really bluntly before the Lord and go, okay, Lord, I need to know what is it is in my life that I'm really interested in or attracted to that you're not really all that crazy about. Those are the kinds of prayers. If, for those of us who feel like uh, God never talks in prayer, you ask him that, He will talk. I promise. It's like, Lord, show me what's in my life that you're not real pleased with. It's like, flood of information comes. (laughs) Okay, wait, stop. That's enough for right now. (laughs) Can you tell me what you're really thrilled about? (laughs) So, what is it that I should do? Or what concrete one thing can I do right now to really make it an effort to grow in conformity with the Lord? Thanks, guys. Thank you. Following his talk, Father John shared with the men some personal experiences of being in a small men's group 
and explained why men need this fellowship to grow in their faith. I could share just my own experience. My life, I think, really changed dramatically when I got into a small men's group when I was in college, just out of college. One of the things that I quickly came to learn as I started to try to live the life of a Christian was I can't do this alone, but I wanted to. There's a sense, I think, for most men of just kind of like, we're so kind of indoctrinated by the rugged individualism in our country. You know, I put my cowboy hat on, I get out, and I ride off into the sunset, and it's just me in the back 40. And I want to be alone and do the life, but I can't live a heroic life on my own. I've proven that countlessly. I mean, I just, I can't do it. I especially need brothers who inspire me, who hold me accountable, who challenge me. So when I was just out of college, I got into, um, through a variety of circumstances, I got into a small men's fellowship with a bunch of peers who were all in kind of a similar state of where I was, and we were all at one place or another in the throes of conversion, and um, we had a particular brother who was leading us, and it was really life-changing. I'm still in relationship with most of the guys that I was with, and that's more than 20 years ago. And I know through all the men that I've come to see in the last, especially through the work that we've done with the um, put out in the deep, guys who've gotten into small group fellowships. We've seen them at St. Anastasia. I know there's a series of McKensington, Our Lady Good Counsel. I mean, there's a great hunger for guys to come together like this. This is pretty safe for us. This is the challenge. This is safe. We come together. We have a talk. I have a little breakfast, a couple of discussions afterwards. That's nice. Moving beyond this gets a little threatening. Because now we're actually going to start revealing who we are. And you can't do that with people who you don't really know and most especially that you don't really trust. But the gift of the small men's fellowship is supposed to be that you can do that. The brotherhood that exists in something like that is, that's the kind of brotherhood that David and Jonathan have in the Old Testament, which is greater than even than the friendship that you can have in marriage because it's really hard to understand a man if you're not a man, as wives prove over and over again (laughs) and as we prove over and over again. And so the great gift of the small men's fellowship is you can get together in an environment which is very safe. It fluctuates. You know, it's best to meet weekly. You know, you get together and you, you may go to mass and then go out to breakfast or you may just get together and on a Saturday morning and have breakfast, whatever it might be. You might meet in the house. It might be all orienting around uh, scripture and then applying the scriptures to what's going on in our lives. It might take a number of different formats, but it's about an hour, hour and a half time to get together with guys. And there's a structure to it, you know, so that there's something that keeps us on track when they get together, but the gist of it is supposed to be, as the quote I think on your little pamphlet says, you know, as iron sharpens iron, so does one man sharpen another. And that's very true. So for maybe a number of us here, it's really kind of the Lord's push to the next step for where we could be. There's a lot of us here I know who've been living kind of an an autonomous, individualistic Christian life. And uh, I think the gift of events like this is you look out and you go, man, there's a lot of brothers who are living for the Lord. I'm not alone. Then you find guys, you know, maybe it's because of where you live or you, you do a number of things anyway. You might be surprised to see some people who are here and go, wow, I didn't know he was serious enough about his relationship with the Lord to come to an event like this. And then something like that happens and you can form these places where people get together where they can be candid about, you know, good things that are going on, where they're really experiencing the Lord in their life and places where they're not experiencing the Lord at all in their life. Difficulties in a marriage and addiction I'm trying to overcome. And then you ask brothers to pray. You know, I know both as a confessor and as a confessee, a friend of mine who's uh, one of my confessors, and uh, it's one of the greatest gifts I have. This guy knows who I am, and he knows I know that I know who I really am. And I'm not all that impressed with myself because he hears all my sin. And uh, rather than being threatened by that, he's actually one of the only people who I really love to talk to because he knows me. And you don't have to worry about the facades and the images that oftentimes we put up in front of each other. And so the small men's fellowship is a way for that to happen. It's just like, here's guys who I know I can really go to and I can talk, not just about small talk and things that we can talk about with everybody, but I can really talk about the only things which are worthwhile in life, which keep me up at night or get me up in the morning or whatever it is that's on my mind. So I can't encourage people enough to get into one. To conclude this program, we have a homily Father Ricardo preached on the necessity of reading the Bible. He titled it, The Single Best Personal Trainer, Scripture. For those of you who can't see, this is my Bible. It is the single best personal trainer that there is. That, it seems to me, is the message which St. Paul, or rather the Holy Spirit through St. Paul, is trying to teach us here this evening. I have a number of friends whose wives work as personal trainers in gyms at various places throughout the metro Detroit area, and they are very busy women. They're busy 
because you and I are living in a culture which is obsessed with looking good, with being in shape, or with losing some weight, or trying to stay physically fit, which, don't get me wrong, can be very important things. There's only three things in my own life that I do every single day, and one of them is work out. The other two are to pray for an hour every day and to celebrate Mass. And there's a lots of people who are like me in the sense that I find a strong, even if it's a strange, connection between exercise and prayer. It's more than just a, an opportunity to relieve some stress. But as helpful as it is to be in shape, as good as it is to take care of our bodies, and while a personal trainer can be helpful not only to motivate us either to get in shape or to stay in shape, but also to help teach us the things that we need to do so as to stay fit, we have to be careful that we don't foolishly reduce life to external beauty or to physical fitness. We have to be concerned instead with things of lasting significance, of ultimate significance. Because the happiest people in the world aren't the ones with the beautiful bodies. The happiest people in the world are the ones with the beautiful souls. And in order for you and I to have a beautiful soul, it means we have to have our ears attuned to the voice of God who made us for happiness and for joy. And here, in his word, is where he speaks to us personally and directly. Here, Paul tells us in that second reading, is where you and I receive wisdom, which enables us to see reality accurately and which leads us to salvation. Here, Paul tells us, you and I receive training for righteousness. Here, we learn God's plan for our lives. The only plan which can lead to fulfillment and to satisfaction. That's why this is the single best personal trainer that there is. Now, I routinely hear people say to me, in fact, I heard someone say to me yesterday morning, I was never told to read the Bible. So if you get nothing else out of tonight, please hear this loud and clear. Read the Bible. All of us. Every day, for at least five to ten minutes. doesn't matter if you've never read it before. Start. Start tonight. Here's where our Heavenly Father comes to us, His children, and makes known who we are and who He is. Here's where He reveals to us that there's a path that leads to life and there's a path that leads to death. Here's where He reveals to us His love and His mercy, which are beyond anything we could ever imagine. Some of us, perhaps, who've never read the Bible before, don't want to read it alone, so maybe you'd like to read it together with other people. Great! We have a Bible study that meets almost every night of the week, or every day of the week here at Our Lady of Good Counsel. Father Steve's doing one for the teens. Those of us who don't want to read the Bible with other people, who'd like to read it alone, great! Only if you've never read it before, I would not advise that you start with Genesis and try to make your way all the way through. Because people who do that usually quit somewhere around Leviticus, which is not very far into the book. My suggestion for those of us who've never really read the Scriptures, or who are just beginning to read the Scriptures, would be to read nothing but the Gospels over and over and over again for a good year. The reason for that is because so many people have a horribly distorted or at best, less than accurate view of Jesus. Because our image or view of Jesus so often comes from movies or Time magazine or who knows what. That's not Jesus. Jesus reveals himself to us in the Gospels. So we have to make sure that we open them up and let him tell us who he is. In short, just as you and I would seek out an expert for a part of life, like a personal trainer to help us get in shape, so we should, if we're wise, seek out an expert for all of life. And since God is the author of life, he's the expert. Now, having said all that, what's the wisdom that the scriptures are offering to us here tonight? What's the training that it's trying to instruct us in? Well, one insight in particular leaps out at me. In that first reading, we hear a very powerful story of how Moses lifted up his hands in prayer while the Israelites were in battle. And so long as his hands were lifted up, all went well. But when he grew tired, 
and he dropped his hands, which is a poetic way of saying he stopped praying, the Israelites got mowed down. The insight being offered to us, I think, is one which is very basic and elementary, but one that we need to make sure that we put into practice. And the insight is this. We can't do this alone. We need each other desperately. We don't only need each other for material help. We need each other even more so for spiritual help. More specifically, you and I have to be men and women who regularly commit to pray for one another here. Let me make this more concrete. For the past six, seven weeks, Father Steve, Deacon Don, myself, Father Thomas, perhaps Deacon Vince, I'm not sure, have spent countless hours sitting down either with individuals or with couples whose marriages are on the brink of breaking up. We're living in a culture with an incredibly disposable view of love and a certainly far less than accurate understanding of marriage. There are so many pressures daily being exerted upon our marriages and families. They're like the Israelites in the first reading who are getting mowed down while Moses drops his hands in prayer. Conscious of the insight, the wisdom which the scriptures are giving to us here this evening, I'd like to ask all of us, as a parish and as individuals, to commit to daily and forever lift our hands in prayer to our Heavenly Father on behalf of all the married couples in our parish. Those that are doing very well and seem to be strong, and those that are not doing so well and that are most in need of God's help. Let's pray that they would be quick to call out for and to trust in the grace that God promised to them on the day of their wedding. Let's pray perhaps in a special way for those who right now are facing some very difficult choices, whose wills need to be strengthened so that they can forgive one another, so that they can not only model for each other and give to each other, a tangible expression of the Lord's love and mercy, but so that they can give that expression and that example to all of us as well. Of course, let's not forget to pray for all our brothers and sisters who are living through the deep pains and the wounds from having gone through divorce or having lost a spouse to death. Pray that God would do for them what only he can do, which is to bring healing and peace. This is the trainer for life. But it doesn't help. It can't help unless we open it up. So let's resolve to do that every day for ourselves and for the whole parish so that we can truly be fit. This has been Christ is the Answer program number 861. For a CD of this or any of our programs, go to AveMariaRadio.net and click on Store or order by leaving a voicemail at 734 930 4506-734-930-4506 for program number 861. Best training. Christ is the Answer was originally recorded and edited by Henry Root and is a production of AveMariaRadio.net. Tune in next time when Father John Ricardo addresses a topic of Christian concern from the Catholic perspective. This is Ave Maria Radio.